You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to your unsatiable fix to the conservative conscience here at Conservative Review. We are back for a new week after the sleepy holiday weekend where things slowed down. Hope you had great family time as I did. You know, it's April 22nd today, and while this time of year has a lot of significance to those who believe in God, obviously Christians are celebrating Easter Monday, um, Jews are celebrating, uh, it's a third day of Passover, those who believe that God runs the world. But to the prevailing elites in this country, well, the significance of today is Earth Day, It is the annual Earth Day, April 22nd, where we celebrate Mother Nature. Earth controls herself. Well, except we can control the Earth's temperature. But uh, um, it got me thinking, shouldn't we have an America Day? I mean, if we're going to celebrate Earth Day, we should celebrate the nation state we're in. Now, I know July 4th is supposed to be that day, but... You know, we don't really celebrate a nation state day because, frankly, I think we need we need one of those things. We need a day to ask ourselves, are we a country or are we not? You know exactly where I'm headed here. Some of you have already contacted me over the weekend. Um, I know your blood is boiling as much as as mine is. And I. I do have to say, as much as sometimes I criticize Drudge for distracting on things, he actually did get it right with the two headlines that he led off with over the weekend. I think the juxtaposition, if that's what he was trying to do, was was right on. And certainly in my column today, I'm going to be making that juxtaposition. And those two articles are, number one, five to six US, uh, Mexican soldiers detain and disarm two American soldiers at the border in El Paso County, Texas, on our soil, our side of the border. And then they kind of speed off and nothing happens. And number two, the FBI arrested the head of this militia group that's patrolling the border in Sunland Park, New Mexico, Because they're getting really tough on militias that want to secure the border. Now, to those of you who don't see the irony, the twisted irony, let's let's go through the facts. Now, I've spent all morning trying to get the truth. And I knew an incident like this, I'm going to get a runaround. And there isn't too much other reporting on it since, you know, a couple of outlets broke it. It looks like, I mean, he Drudge linked to the Washington Examiner. It looks like Newsweek got a hold of the serious incident report. I don't know how they did. And so they had the most details. And that, that's what I cite in my article. But I had a runaround the entire morning trying to contact CBP, National Guard, NORTHCOM, right? Northern Command of our military. And 
and the State Department and DOD at large. Because each one will push me to another another one for a different aspect of it. Because nobody, of course, could take full responsibility in our government. Because we just, you know, I guess in that respect, we're kind of, we kind of are like the Mexican government. Where, you know, everything's decentralized. Except when they want to clamp, clamp down on patriots and the citizenry, then they're very centralized. And they certainly know how to engage in law and order. So let's start off with the Mexican um, incident. So I'm just going to read to you what Northcom sent me. I mean, it's pretty much in the uh, reports. Nothing, nothing really new. On April 13th, 2019, so this was a little bit more than a week ago, at approximately 2 p.m. Central Time, Five to six Mexican Mexican military personnel questioned questioned two U.S. Army soldiers who are conducting border support operations in an unmarked CBP vehicle near the southwest border in the vicinity of Clint, Texas. That's in El Paso County. Quote, an inquiry by CBP and DOD revealed that the Mexican military members believed that the U.S. Army soldiers were south of the border. However, the U.S. soldiers were appropriately in U.S. territory. Though they were south of the border fence, U.S. soldiers remained in U.S. territory north of the actual border. After a brief discussion between the soldiers from the two nations, the Mexican military members departed the area. The U.S. soldiers immediately contacted CBP, who responded quickly. Throughout the incident, the U.S. soldiers followed all established procedures and protocols. So that's that's all I got from there. Um. Now, before I just continue on this incident, just to give you everything I know, I just had a parallel question of, hey, you know, could you just let me know in general, you know, how many troops you have there? Because these were regular soldiers. These were not National Guard. These were regular soldiers. Which I didn't think we had that many, so it's good to know at least there are some. And... You know, these guys were actually parked at the border, which a lot of them aren't even at the border, not not right at the border. But um, the these guys were from where is this? They were from B Battery, First Battalion, Thirty Seventh Field Artillery Regiment, um, based out of Washington State. So they are conventional army units. He told me, this guy from Northcom, the current mission has approximately 2,800 service members assigned to it. That includes 1,200 on the mobile surveillance camera mission, 1,000 service members, hardening points of entry in Texas and New Mexico, and then approximately 200 personnel as part of a crisis response force, with the remainder being headquarters and logistics personnel supporting the mission. So as you could tell, hardening up points of entry um, you know, monitoring cameras and, and that kind of, you know, that's fine, but certainly nothing about holding the line and actually treating this as a invasion, both from the migrant standpoint, from the cartel standpoint, and yes, from evidently from the Mexican government standpoint. So we're going to have a retired border agent on the show in a couple of minutes to take us through some of this, but both he and Jason Jones, one of our resident border experts we bring on the show, former Texas Department of Public Safety, uh, Texas Rangers guy who 
coordinated counter cartel missions at the border. They had the same reaction to me. Both of them had the same reaction. They said, Daniel, there is no ambiguity as to where the border is there. Everyone knows when you cross the Rio Grande River, you are in American territory, even though the fence is a little bit farther north, which we spoke about that a lot before, that, you know, the fence is north. And, you know, the agents are picking up bogus asylum seekers there and bringing them in, and so the fence doesn't work. But they said, you know, it's unmistakable, it's very clear, and it's very clear from the fact that they took a sidearm off one of the agents, a Beretta 9mm, and then they dumped it in the vehicle. They didn't like, and and then it just says that they departed. It's very clear they were making a political statement. Now, right right off the bat, you know, and you'll see what, what, what Zach, Zach Taylor, we're going to have him on the show, what he has to say, you know, he was questioning, well, this might have been, you know, the cart- a cartel member because they were unmarked and the two soldiers said they didn't see any, you know, any badges that suggested they, they were American military. But what I have confirmed from this quote from Northcom is that CVP and DOD indeed had a line of communication with the Mexican government. And the Mexican government said, well, they, they thought you guys were on the wrong side. So clearly they're admitting it was their folks. Now, again, their folks is a very murky area because a lot of their folks are hooked in with the cartels. So there's officially cartel members is you, the fact that they could be Mexican military, which I think you you can now, we can now confirm that the Mexican government did confirm that at least tacitly, but you know, they could be working for the cartels and they're testing our response. And basically what they see is that nothing has changed at its core. This is exactly the sort of incident that Donald Trump was elected to counter. And weak as anything. So I had statements into, I I asked CBP, I asked State Department, and I asked DOD. And each one bumped me to the other one, and no one wants to answer. I said, look, now that they admitted that they thought we were on the wrong side, and we are absolutely, no, we were on the right side, and the government has put that out in the public statement, are you asking them to apologize? Have you solicited any response from them? I mean, that, that's the obvious question. I mean, are we just a vassal of Mexico now? I mean, I'm serious. So they can now come on our soil, detain and disarm our soldiers who clearly weren't prepared, weren't armed properly. And quote, what, what was the quote here? This is not from what I was given. This is from the Washington Examiner article that... um. They were seeking to, quote, de-escalate a potentially volatile situation. Okay, de-escalation. Okay. So that's why we have the military here. It's the same thing what we're doing with the migration. CBP put out a press release late on Friday that they're building temporary facilities to house them. They're not. They're doing it just to better manage the invasion. They're not doing what we suggested to deter it. Neither on the migration side, nor the cartel side, nor the Mexican government side. But then, this leads us to the next story from Reuters. The FBI over the weekend arrested Larry Hopkins, the national commander of the United Constitutional Patriots. They arrested him on firearms charges. He must have had outstanding firearms charges, and they figured they'd go after him two days after the ACLU 
publicly complained about it. Because the ACLU, as you well know, is the most powerful branch of government. They control our border. And in addition, the ACLU got feedback from the Mexican government. And the Mexican government said they are, quote, deeply concerned about these vigilante groups that drive human rights abuses of people who migrate or request asylum or refuge in the United States. So now we have it on record that the Mexican government is totally complicit in this. Right? They should be joining us and saying this is outrageous. This bogus asylum. No, now they're saying, hey, you bet you better you better stop your vigilante groups from operating on your side of the border while we send our troops on your side. And of course, no response. Look, I am not for vigilante groups getting in the way of border patrol. It makes their life harder sometimes because they like hide in the brush and everything. But if you're worried about them, you're worried about the symptom, not the problem. See, I could respect if we had a military where we put the military down and we were treating the Mexican government and the cartels like an act of war and countering them. And, and, and while simultaneously Border Patrol was returning, not processing the illegal aliens. And then you had these vigilante groups like, okay, go after them, get them out of our way. But if you guys are going to violate the social compact that the Declaration of Independence is built upon, which, by the way, one of the indictments of King George was that he prevented them from fighting the frontier, securing their border against the Indian tribes. I don't know what you want our citizenry to do. So really, you're going to clamp the hell down on groups, you know, and again, I'm not in love with this business of doing this, but they're mainly retired military folks that serve this country honorably. But you allow Mexican soldiers to screw with our troops with impunity. What's the point in having them down there if this is what they're going to do? This really pisses me off. Why is Trump not renegotiating NAFTA? Why is he not ordering a massive buildup? Why is he not publicly tweeting and calling on the Mexican government to apologize? I mean, this at its core was what being strong in America first meant. This is like a quintessential Obama dynamic. I just don't get it. But don't worry, Border Patrol in the Yuma sector spent... Um, $600,000 on diapers and formula and food and uh, feminine hygiene expected to reach uh, 1.2 million by the end of the year. So fear not, our border patrol is on the case. Again, I'm not for vigilantism, but there's something awfully unsettling when our government violates their oath to us. And if you read the text of the Declaration of Independence, what is going on now is the quintessential situation where pursuant to that contract, the citizenry has the right to abolish your government. I'm not calling on them, I'm just saying, read the words. Certainly just to simply do the job that they refuse to do. Again, I I don't want that to be the solution. But this is pretty shocking. 
And I'm just not understanding. Now, you know, you always want to allow for the fact with central sensitive international relations that there's more stuff going behind the scenes. But I mean, this is what I could report to you so far. And, um, you know, if nothing else, this approves again. How the hell could judges get involved in border policy when it's inherently militarily military issue? Foreign relations issue. Trump needs to assert that. Let's get off the stupid Mueller stuff already. So as I told you guys to start out the show, I wanted to bring on an expert to get his take on what just went down on the border, or at least we found out over the weekend that the incident itself was April 13th. But just to get an idea of the lay of the land and you know what the standard procedures are here, what typically happens, has this happened before, and to get the real story, because there's a lot going on that clearly, clearly we do not know. And and it's just, it, it's very disturbing on many levels. So Zach Taylor, he's the chairman of National Association of Former Border Patrol um, Operatives. It's a nonprofit organization that was formed in 2006 in response to the amnesty fight then. That was actually when I cut my teeth on immigration. He uh, served in Border Patrol for 26 years. Um, actually working um, not just uh, you know in some office somewhere, but counter smuggling and intel. And he still lives near Nogales, Arizona, near the border. So he's very familiar with the current trends and what's going on. Um, he works to educate Congress and outsiders like myself on what is actually going on, what's a distraction. And that's why I felt today is the best time to bring on this treasure a uh, veteran seasoned retired border patrol agent Zach Taylor. Hey Zach, thanks for joining us today. Well, good morning. Down here in Mountain Time, how's everything over there in uh on the east side of the country? <laughs> well, I didn't realize, yeah, it's still morning by you. Wow. Yeah, it's already afternoon by me as of this recording. Um you guys don't don't change the clocks there. I've been meaning to talk to you forever and I think we could probably do a three hour show. So we're gonna have to prioritize and maybe do this in a couple parts. But just to start at this incident um, where Northcom has confirmed with the um, media and I have it directly and I actually sent you forward you their email um, straight up that they say it was the Me Mexican soldiers uh, that came over that they felt we were on the their side of the border. Um, and instead, they actually came on our side took a sidearm out of one agent's po uh, pocket holster, put it in the um, unmarked CBP vehicle they were in, and then kind of took off. And so far, we really don't see any response, any call for an apology. Could you start off just describing the land there in El Paso County and how you believe it's impossible that the Mexican government or Mexican officials didn't know where the border was? Well, the Rio Grande River has been the international border between Mexico and the United States for over a century. And in places where there is no Rio Grande River, like in New Mexico, Arizona, and California, there are concrete uh, border markers, monuments they're called, delineating the actual border. And they're normally 50 feet. Uh, they're on the border, and the border fence is 50 feet inside the United States. But 
where the Rio Grande River is the boundary, such as at Clint, Texas, it is the Rio Grande River is the international boundary, and it runs all the way from El Paso, Texas, to the Gulf of Mexico. Now, what the listeners need to understand is that in border situations, nothing is ever the way it seems. The stock and trade of the Mexican uh, transnational criminal is to engage in his smuggling activity right before your eyes without you realizing what he's doing. And in looking at this particular incident, we find that Clint, Texas is about 16 miles downriver or southeast of El Paso. And it took place on the United States side of the Rio Grande River near Clint, Texas, which is definitely within the United States. Uh, reading the articles, I think everyone is making a presumption that this is Mexican military and is armed with something that looked like rifles. Well, by Mexican law, the only thing they can carry is 45 caliber pistols and 308 caliber rifles. So that would be a G3 or a Finfal in a rifle and probably a 1911 Colt in a pistol. So if the military personnel, whether they were National Guard, regular military, in or out of uniform, none of that matters, they were inside the United States. And they were met with people that appeared to be Mexican military bearing Mexican uh, probably speaking Spanish and wearing Mexican uniforms and a demeanor uh, indicating they were Mexican. There is no proof of that at the point of contact or where the incident occurred. All we have is a statement by the Mexican government that it was Mexican military. Well, the real problem at our border is transnational crime. Sure. Now, you have to remember that El Paso, Texas, is across the international boundary from Villa Juarez, which is the murder capital of the world. It is the home of all kinds of transnational criminals, and that their purpose in being at that particular geographic location is to engage in transnational crime. Clint, Texas, being 16 miles more or less downriver, would be a prime location to engage in crossing anything illegal across the border because it gives access to the interstate highways, airports, and other transportation facilities. It's, I call it infrastructure. that would allow them to quickly access the interior of the United States. So that puts a place like Clint, Texas, within the possibility and a uh, circle of influence of Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. So I think that because of the way this went down, where it went down was to make a political statement to the United States and more likely to draw attention to that location and back to the border as media attention was being focused elsewhere. So I'm thinking it's most likely it was a staged event and everybody on both sides of the border sort of knew what was going to happen because they knew what the rules of engagement were for the U.S. Uh, 
military groups on the U.S. side and the people on the Mexican side, they just, well, you know, in that area, they pretty much do whatever they want to. Now, these could have been people from the cartels dressed up like Mexican soldiers. Mm -hmm. It could have been Mexican soldiers. We have no proof of either one, only statements by the Mexican government. And there's very little difference between the cartels and the Mexican government when it comes to areas of influence. So um, that's a hard pill for Americans to swallow because they sort of think of the Mexican military like the U.S. military, and nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs> the Mexican military uh, has very little constraints upon them. They act mostly, especially the Mexican Marines, more like state and, and national police and are far more trusted by the government because they control them a little better than are the local police, such as the Judicial, the Comandantes, and the various police subdivisions at the local level. Whenever America thinks about police, they think about our police and our military, and they just don't factor in the fact that, that there's a word called corruption, and it means something. So the real thing to think about is what is being reported and what is not being reported that is important to the Mexican people and important to the American people. To the Mexican people, they want to feel like they can come and go to the United States whenever they want to and live off the largesse of the land, get a job if that's what they want, or get on welfare if that's what they desire. It all depends on the individual. It is not a humanitarian situation. It's an opportunistic situation for the people that are crowding our borders, even the caravans. The idea that it's compassionate situation is is just a facade. It's not true. So I, I want to uh, just hold it there for a minute before we get into, as you mentioned, the broader issue, the caravans, the broader illegal immigration. I want to get your thoughts on that. But just for now, this incident, you're saying this is symbolic and by design of the broader breaking of our border the last year or so with the unbridled illegal immigration from Central America, <clears throat> that the Mexicans, whether it's officially the military, whether it's a corrupted part of the military working for the cartels, whether it's officially the cartels dressed as the military, they want to stake out territory and they just wanted to say, hey, um, you know, Trump, we thought Trump might have been a little different. The deployment of the military might have been a more aggressive tactic. Let's test them out. And now they found, based on their test, that not much has changed um, in terms of our resolve or rules of engagement and that they can indeed um, cross the border with impunity. Is that what you're saying? Almost. I, I think that the Mexicans looked at it like there was no physical, uh, imminent physical danger by these people stopping uh, at gunpoint the two uh, soldiers on the U.S. side, and they look at it as no downside politically. They look at it as an upside for the Mexican people to sort of reassert their machismo over the nasty Yankee that lives on the other side of the river. That that that's really very unsettling. Um, in your well, let me let me just back up first. So, 
Some reports were saying the riverbed is often dried out there in in that part, and certainly it is uh, less robust than in East Texas. But isn't it true that no matter what, there's either a few feet of water, or or at the very least, it's it's um notched out, it's muddy. There's no way you could just kind of like, hey, I don't know where the riverbed is, I don't know where the line is. Well, the best I can divine from the reports is it says near Clint, Texas. So I'm giving that about a four-mile swath, two miles either side of Clint. And I haven't been in that area in many years, but the Rio Grande River is notorious for flooding. And flooding rivers carve out riverbeds. And sometimes that stretch of the Rio Grande can be described as an intermittent stream. But that does not mean that there is not water in it. It is just the quantity of water. I think less than three feet height at the center of the channel would not be unusual. But flood stage would not be unusual either. So it depends on what the stage of the river was at that time of day on that date. Yeah, I mean, um, usually it seems like there's about three feet um so, you know, to me, it seems obvious that they had to downright cross over and it was premeditated. Um, you would think they got their feet wet, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it just, uh, it, it's it, it's unmistakable. You know, they, they knew exactly where that was. And, um, oh, yeah. you know, th- this just leads just to the broader question. Um Why is it that our government will send troops to the Middle East and start shooting at the drop of a hat? But somehow when it comes to our own border, which is quintessentially why we have a military, somehow the military is relegated to sitting in unmarked cars, barely armed, or fixing tires on trucks or manning cameras. Why is there this reluctance to use the military commensurate with the threat? The the purpose of... of (laughs) One of the largest purposes of the uh, on-duty military is to prevent invasion of the United States, and clearly that is what is happening. And the popular theme is that that would be a violation of posse comitatus if they made the U.S. military repel an invasion (laughs) at the border, which couldn't be further than the truth. It's laughable. But if you look at the rest of what the American government, Congress in particular, is doing, everything they do is encouraging more caravans, more uh, assaults on our border, more disease into the interior of the United States, more stress on our welfare systems, more stress on our refugee resettlement to the point of uh, breaking. And it is well known in the Department of Homeland Security and the Border Patrol and several other parts of Customs and Border Protection that there's a very simple solution to this, and they just refuse to do it. So that has to be a political decision to let all these people come in. And when we watch the media, in particular, the mainstream media, including Fox News, they are discouraging any information 
that puts a finger pointing directly at the caravans of bringing these communicable diseases into the United States. And clearly it's happening. It is becoming well known on the grapevine. And everything from AFM to measles to mumps rubella is, is coming in with these people. And the CDC reluctantly puts out information that alludes to that, but they could go much further and don't. So, I, was, Zach, let, let, let's move on to that, the communicable diseases. I did a two-part series last week. And so if you could kind of fill in the gaps for our listeners, what you see, you're near Nogales, which is just getting slammed. Lukeville, that whole area with more and more caravans, hundreds coming at a time. Here's what I don't understand. I, I am using not my own research, what what you know, Kirsten Nielsen, McAleenan, all these people, chief patrol agent of the Rio Grande Valley, um, said that these people are largely from the indigenous population. They're not vaccinated. They have never um, been exposed to uh, sanitary conditions and medical care. That is, that is, they testified before Congress saying that. So let's plug this into an equation. We know that in the source countries, you have all of this, particularly there was a massive mumps outbreak in Honduras right before the caravan came. We know that our own um, Southcom is treating them on our dime, by the way, in these countries for a lot of these diseases there. I had some press releases from the military, um, you know, bragging about it and, you know, saying how, how great it is the work they're doing. And we linked to that in our article. Then they come here and they come here. Everyone agrees under the worst conditions where they're coming from source countries with the diseases and then aggravating it in the form of travel that they have all being together. Then they come to our border. Now, until now, I think you and I always you know, knew, understood this was a problem. But until now, you could say, look, well, either we return them or if we do a release, it's after a number of days where we hold them, vaccinate them, do blood tests, whatever. Let's just you know say that. But now we have it on record. Just last week, CBP released 12,500 people, not even ICE. CBP directly without going into ICE detention. So there's no, there's nothing. I mean, I have it confirmed from them. There's no, I mean, you know that they don't do vaccinations. The Border Patrol doesn't do that. How the heck is that not a prima facie threat? They do. Absolutely do. And if they have, even if they've had a medical screening, did they screen them for everything they should have? No. The problem is, is that the U.S. government knows for a fact that they can send these people back and or make an adjudication on their asylum claim within 24 hours, and they're not doing it. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I, I want to – oh, my gosh. There's so much I want to get to with you. You keep bringing – I want to get back to communicable disease in a minute, but before I forget, and I'm sorry for jumping around here, you brought up asylum. This is the 800-pound gorilla in the room. You've seen all of my ideas and solutions and everything, but I want to get from you. You patrolled in, what, the 80s, the 90s. Th that was 70s, 80s and 90s, 70s, yeah. 80s and 90s. Now, you are, you know, a bit up there in age relative to me, but, you know, you're not ancient enough to have been patrolling before the enactment of the INA. So you are still, you know, you're, you're, you're not 100 years old and you still were patrolling after the operative statutes that are currently on the books. So nothing has really changed. If anything, you were patrolling before IRA, IRA 1996, where we actually tightened things up. Could you explain to right. me if it says in the law that anyone could invade in the tens of thousands and say, I got a, oh, boy, you know, 
credible fear, and there's nothing we could do to stop that. How come that never happened when you were patrolling? Because we enforced the law as it was written. <laughs> See, Border Patrol agents and immigration inspectors at the ports of entry are immigration officers. And they can take sworn statements regarding anything touching on the INA. And we used to take these statements from these people claiming political asylum, turn around and hand them to a designated officer to review it. And if they made a claim to uh, political asylum, they scheduled them at that moment to see an immigration judge within 24 hours, not 20 days. And the, when I was in the Rio Grande Valley, that was either McAllen, Texas, Harlingen, Texas, or Brownsville, Texas. They were sent to uh, the processing center at uh, Los Fresnos, put on a bus, taken to an airport, and flown back to their home country, which was a big mistake. It should be in a U.S. military aircraft so marked so that the visual impression in the home country is that you are no longer welcome in the United States and the U.S. military is going to fly you home if you come to the United States. Anything less than that will be encouraging more caravans and more people to come to the United States because it is a picnic to go on a commercial flight by their standards and does not send a don't come to the United States message. That's a really important point i never thought of it the way you did um because to me this is all about they've already militarized their border mexican government the cartels the same thing whatever it is um they've militarized it through the cartels which are downright paramilitary they've militarized it through the weaponization of migration against us so isn't it time we militarize our border? My concern about border patrol, and you know, this is not an indictment of the good men that, and women that do, do the do the work, but the political leadership that instructs them to do certain things. Um, you know, in the Yuma sector alone, I just read this before we brought you on. They've spent six hundred thousand dollars this year on feminine feminine hygiene products, diapers, food, things like that. I mean. Isn't that part of the problem that we need the military to deal with the cartels and make this more of a military issue? The military needs to be doing a detention, transportation and return to country. Once the Border Patrol agent or the immigration inspector has done the narrative I-213 and turns it over to an asylum officer, designated or official, doesn't matter and that person has their immigration hearing, at that point, the military can become the transportation. In other words, they can put them in a tent, feed them, and within 24 hours have them on a military aircraft headed home. Now, two and a half years ago, the Department of State and Customs and Border Protection were securing Mexico's southern border. And through actions of other departments of the United States government, the critical elements that were engaged in that activity were removed. And the securing of Mexico's southern border was terminated. So apparently the uh, idea that that southern uh, border needed to be uh, 
secured as much as the United States' southern border was having U.S. Border Patrol personnel detailed under the Department of State to Mexico's southern border to accomplish that. And when that uh, effort was terminated, it left Mexico's southern border officially unsecured. And that played into the hands of the migration as well as the drug smuggling. Yep, and and we're certainly seeing the violence play out now with uh, more deaths in in Mexico than ever before. So it's certainly not helping the Mexican people just like us. Um, What are some of the latest trends you're seeing in your neck of the woods in Arizona? Um, We hear about just an unprecedented number of people coming in from Central America in such large numbers at a time being released. What are you seeing or hearing in the communities in Arizona now as a result of this? Well, remembering that both Tucson and Phoenix are relatively close to the border and they are both uh, sanctuary city type uh, municipalities. It's kind of hard to say that about Phoenix because it has so many different uh, delineated communities within the larger Maricopa, Maricopa County, like uh, Gilbert and Peoria and, and uh, Tempe, and then you have the city of Phoenix. But overall, through Maricopa County, it is a sanctuary county and, and permits the smuggling activity, even though it is largely DHS that is bringing these 12,000 people a week through Tucson and Phoenix, they're not objecting or even uh, paying attention or noticing that this number of people are coming through their jurisdictions. But they shouldn't really be too worried about it because they're headed north. They're going to other places. Now, I have heard through reliable sources that the Department of Health and Human Services is putting these 17 to 12, 12 to 17 year old unaccompanied minors into foster homes and are planning to never, under any circumstances, let them be removed from the United States. So, again, we're fighting our own U.S. government through the refugee resettlement program resident in HHS, and it's got to be about money and power. So we're fighting our own government as much, if not more, than we are the other governments of the world. Wow. This this is really... <laughs> This is a really a downer. Um, you're running out of time here, but it got got a lot of things to cover. Just want to jump back to the communicable diseases. Your organization, National Association of Former Border Patrol Operatives. Um, so your organization did a fox hit last year on this concern that you know, and and this was a while ago when when these large numbers, large caravans were just starting at least in the way we're seeing today, certainly it's gotten worse. And they were warning about the problem of diseases. Um, I've told my listeners that of all vices of illegal immigration, this is the one that the the media and government know is the most potent. And therefore, they will do everything they can to tamp down on on any information dissemination regarding it. I want you to comment on two things at once if you have time. Take as much time as you want, both on what happened with that fox hit and 
subsequently with your organization? And number two, if you could just comment on why am I just not buying it that last Thursday, the CBP put out a press release saying this Guatemalan came over in a group of 39 crossing the Colorado River near Yuma and had had measles. And then within 24 hours, they took it off the website and then they said, oh, no, no, it was strep throat. Why am I not buying that? Because it's probably not true. <laughs> I mean, you know, your pa- pa- past practice is a predictor of future performance. And uh, DHS is infamous within its own organization for manipulating information. Now, to go to our incident, we're going to go back to October of 2018. And one of our uh, charter members, David Ward, who was, before he retired, the officer in charge for ICE in Salt Lake City, and before that he'd been Border Patrol supervisor, uh, in Santa Teresa, New Mexico. So he started out in the Border Patrol, wound it up at the end of his career with ICE in Salt Lake City, and is currently retired. And he was living near uh, Fox headquarters in New York at the time and appearing frequently uh, on Fox and Friends in particular and uh, Lou Dobbs and some other shows, sometimes two and three times a week. And on one October event, he mentioned in passing during a live interview the amount of diseases that were coming into the United States with these caravan children. And the commentator immediately shut him off, terminated the interview, and that was October of 2018, and he or we have not been invited back on Fox since. So the clear indication is, is they do not want to discuss the diseases that are coming in with these uh, people that are in the caravans. Now, to expand on that recently, they have been apprehending illegal aliens from the central Congo Republic Mm. on the Texas border. There is an outbreak of Ebola, a serious outbreak of Ebola, in that part of Africa. The gestation period of Ebola is 21 days. It is easy for a person to contract that disease in the Congo, travel to Mexico City, travel to the U.S. border, and still not be showing symptoms of the Ebola virus when they enter the United States. Not to mention the fact that they could infect people with the Ebola virus at any time while they're transversing Mexico or the United States. And I think that's being tamped down. It was being tamped down in 2014 when we called AFM uh, showing up in Colorado in August of 2014 uh, in children under, uh, I think it was four years of age at that time, or, or eight years of age, I don't remember right off the bat. But it basically attacks younger children as polio-type disease, but it presents itself as a mild cold to begin with. Well, how do you defend against a mild cold if being AFM if you don't do a clinical uh, study and keep that person in isolation for seven days? You don't. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. 
But by the way, so our listeners know, I didn't talk to you about this part be- beforehand, and you're educating me along with everyone else here. I wish I would have spoken to you before I wrote my article because this is a big deal. I'm, I mean, in case you think you know Zach is making stuff up here, I'm looking right now at CDC's website, and and you know, much to my embarrassment, I actually, you know, you mentioned AFM before. I didn't know what you're talking about. I never heard about it before. So acute flaccid. Um, Myeltis, um, myelitis, um, it's a, a rare but serious condition. It affects the nervous system, specifically the area of the spinal cord called gray matter, which causes the muscles and reflexes in the body to become weak. The condition is not new. However, look at this. This is CDC. The large number of AFM cases reported since 2014 when we first started our surveillance for this condition is new. Um you know, anyone who follows the border issue, and this audience already knows this, when you mention 2014, that means one thing. That's the benchmark year when the Central Americans started coming. Is that correct? Yeah, that that was the unaccompanied minor, UAC invasion. Unaccompanied minor invasion. Wow, I never even see that's one. I, I tried to go through all the, I mentioned a lot of um, viruses in that uh that article, but this is one I missed. <laughs> Unbelievable. So I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. Fatal. Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off there. I got so excited there. So continue with the AFM cases. Well, recurrent and their recurrence seems to be cyclical in that 2015, 2016, 2017 in the uh, <coughs> August to September, there seems to be a resurgence of outbreak. Now, that doesn't mean reinfection as much as maybe the virus itself is recyclical and possibly uh, was contracted in a, in a health setting, whether it be a, uh, a place where aliens were detained, removed, and then other aliens placed there or a hospital or clinical setting. So when you have a cyclical disease like that, I, I, I'm guessing, I'm, I don't know this, but if it keeps presenting itself in that uh, six to eight week time frame, it's like the uh, virus becomes reactivated to where it actually infects people. And it mostly infects younger children under age of eight. I think if you catch it under the age of four, it is more serious. So yeah. um, it's it's just like polio from what I understand. But it, it it's in the main place that it first showed up was in Colorado, which we knew at that time that a lot of these aliens that were being transported out of Texas to Colorado, some of them had not been medically screened. And, and that was back then when we were holding them for a lot longer. I mean, at the military, at the military bases. Yeah. Meaning they were UACs. A lot of them were being resettled by um, HHS, which as much as we didn't like, at least, you know, that is a process where, you know, they were there for longer. They did vaccinate them. They, they screened them for longer here. The children are coming with, with parents, and 
they are they're being released often within 24 hours so it's just it's inconceivable even if if typically government always did their due diligence now it's scientifically impossible to screen that out like you mentioned because you wouldn't be exhibiting the signs of a lot of these diseases by the time you're you're let go and um i'm trying to find this quote here but i have it in one of my articles from the bipartisan uh, uh homeland security um uh border council that they put together, they put out their first report last week, and they noted that 73% of the children coming with the families now, unlike in 2014, are are of the, quote, tender age, under 12. So, I mean, that would mean they're they're very much vulnerable to, to this particular disease. Well, I think DHS considers 14 tender age. Or, or 14, yeah. I mean, but the point is there are tons of young people are coming, and you're saying they're well, yeah, the most susceptible. Yeah, and, and as, as carriers and as potential victims, both. <sighs> wow. Wow. Um, this, is, I, this is what you're not allowed to talk about anywhere, and it's just... Um, well, that means they know about it, and they just don't want the information distributed. Yeah, here, here it is, by the way. Um, 73% of the children in FMUs, the family units, illegally crossing our border are 12 or younger. So that is, yeah, that is from the um, Homeland Security Advisory Council. Um, final thing, and, and I know this is a little touchy, and, you know, certainly I don't want to look like I'm talking down anyone in the, in the agency, but have do you feel that, some of the border, some of border patrol has changed in terms of both the qualifications, their maybe their mentality, uh, their skills based on when you were there. A lot of you know Vietnam War veterans like yourself, military veterans, um, have things changed over the last generation? And do you believe that the transfer from INS to DHS had something to do with that? Yes. Um, we told the government that creating DHS, uh, any institution that is that large cannot do any one thing well. (laughs) And immigration is a very specific and specialized, sensitive, very sensitive to the American people situation. The reason the political reason was is that Congress wanted more control over what was going on at the border, and they were not satisfied that INS was doing what Congress wanted to do, and rather was INS was focused on enforcing the law. And by breaking up INS, they were able to have more control and emotionally control what happened with immigration rather than adherence to the written law. And we knew that was coming. Uh, when I took my test in 1973 the first time for Border Patrol, I was told that they had about 5,000 applicants for every vacancy. Uh, when I was hired in 1976, three years later, uh, I was told that there was close to that number for every vacancy they had. And that the training period was 17 weeks intensive and that 
about 50% of the hires would be washed out between the time they were hired and they completed their first year. And then after another two years, another 50% would leave the agency because the training they received and the experience they had was so much more valuable and paid higher in other agencies of the government. So whenever you give a person less to do with more personal security and more pay, they're going to vote with their feet. And they're going to leave that agency. The people that stayed in Border Patrol, like myself, until they actually retired 26-plus years later, loved what they did, understood the Constitution and the laws, and why they were written the way they were. Whoever wrote the INA was a pretty bright fellow. Because the purpose of the INA is just two things. is to protect national security and public safety, period. That's it. Mm. And when you violate those laws, you put those two things at risk. Now, I've been told, I've been told... Uh, uh, back channel that the reason that the elitists in the government are bringing all these aliens in illegally is because the American uh, economy is built on consumer growth. And if they don't have the growth in population, they don't have the consumers, and that the capitalistic form of consumer growth will not feed the economy. And that's why the uh, Chamber of Commerce is so much against securing the border. And that's why now they're making up bogus court cases, court decisions to say the law says one thing, when really, as you noted, the INA was actually written properly. It's not our laws that are broken. It's a lack of enforcement and the courts that are broken. Um, but, you know, too, too few people want to talk about that. Uh, gosh, I mean, I, I'm out of time and I wish I could have you on so much longer. Here's what we're going to do. Um, if you don't mind coming back again, I'm going to solicit the audience to email me at dharowitz at blazemedia.com. Let me know what questions you want me to ask Zach for a follow-up interview, because this has been just so enlightening and it's it's gone by too fast. I really appreciate you doing this on short notice. And would you, would, would you be willing to come back in a, in a, in a couple of days? You bet. Perfect. Well, thanks so much. God bless you and for everything you've done, your service to this country. There you have it, folks. That was Zach Taylor, veteran, retired border agent, speaking the truth like really you won't hear it elsewhere on all these issues. Um, we are just about out of time. Till tomorrow, God bless you all. Send me your comments and concerns. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. 